Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, September the 20th, 2023. Another day, another meeting in the Middle East, more controversy. Uh, Joe Biden is meeting with Bibi Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu. God knows what they're going to talk about. Uh, Axios describes um, uh, the meeting as much anticipated. I'm not actually sure that's true. I wonder if the the reverse is uh, true. Politico suggests that they are meeting to discuss hard issues. Thomas Friedman, who's in my view, at least done more damage to Middle Eastern relations than almost any other individual on earth, has written the shortest column ever giving advice to Joe Biden about how to deal with Israel. He's never succeeded in the past. Meanwhile, the Iranians, as always, are up to their own tricks. Uh, The Iranians have accused that in a UN speech um, of stoking the Ukrainian war And uh, Israel's ambassador apparently walked out uh, to protest the speech. It's a three-way relationship. I'm not sure what Freud would make of it. United States, Israel, and Iran. One man who's given this odd relationship a great deal of thought is my guest today, Ilan Eviata. is the editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Report. He's based in Israel. He's a very prominent and distinguished Israeli journalist. And he's the co-author of Target Tehran, How Israel is Using Sabotage, Cyber Warfare, Assassination, and Secret Diplomacy to Stop a Nuclear Iran and Create a New Middle East. It's a controversial book written with Yona Jeremy Bob. And uh, as I said, uh, Elan is joining us from, where are you, Elan, in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? I'm in Jerusalem. Um, so, is this the classic three-way thing, Ilan? Israel, Iran, and the United States all playing off each other? Well, they're certainly playing off each other, and there's another three-way relationship that's going on, which is uh, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the United States, who are trying to put together a normalization deal with uh, the shadow of Iran hanging over them. So let's talk about the book. Uh, it doesn't, I have to admit, it doesn't come as a great surprise to me that um, Israel's using sabotage, cyber warfare, assassination, and secret, secret diplomacy to stop a nuclear Iran. What are you saying in the book, Target Tehran, that hasn't been said before about this covert war between Israel and Iran? No, I think we're saying a lot that hasn't been said before, and what we're doing that hasn't been done before is... is uh, presenting a book that is very much up to date. Normally, books about espionage deal with events that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago or whatever, and we're dealing with, with events that, are, that happened you know, just a few years ago, and in fact, with events that are, are ongoing. Israel's war with Iran is a, is a very long war. It's a war that's been going on for, for close to 40 years, and uh, it, it continues to go on, or continue to go on either until there is regime change or, or uh, until Israel has uh, managed to do to uh, stop Iran from uh, gaining nuclear weapons, which will make it a far more aggressive towards Israel than it is even today. Il- uh, uh, Ilan, I'm not sure if you meant to 
put it in these words, but you talked about Israel's war with Iran. Uh, did you mean that? Yes, it most, def it most definitely is a war. It, it's, it's taking place at uh, various levels. It's taking place at the uh, covert level where Israel is conducting, uh, uh, according to foreign reports, as we say here, to, to uh, be within the rules of the censor. Uh, Israel is, is uh, said to be conducting uh, assassinations. It's, it's conducted a number of covert operations. It's, a, it's admitted to some of them. It admitted to the heist of the uh, nuclear archive in Iran. It, it, uh, in Syria, where, where Iran is trying to uh, entrench itself and build forward positions against Israel, uh, it is conducting sometimes almost daily operations, military operations. So, yes, it is a war. There have been direct... Uh, confrontations between the sides and the Iranians too are engaging in covert operations. They just haven't been as successful. Uh, Israel has stopped just last week. The uh, head of Mossad, uh, the present head of Mossad, uh, David Barnea, said that uh, Israel had stopped 27 attempted Iranian terrorist attacks against Israeli and Jewish targets around the world. Remember that famous scene in, uh, in Casablanca, where uh, somebody says they were shocked with the behavior of the Germans or the British in, the, uh, in this secret war, in this Cold War, in, in the Second World War. Should we be, quote unquote, shocked by all this in, in that Casablanca ironic sense, Elon? I mean, none of this is particularly surprising. Uh, uh, were you shocked by this? You're an insider. You're a journalist in Israel. Is there something outrageous about this or is this business as usual for a country surrounded by many different enemies for the last almost 100 years well in, in many ways it is business as usual like you say israel is uh, or is or has been surrounded by enemies on uh, on many fronts and the, this war with iran has been going on for for such a long time that that in many ways it is business as usual was i shocked no i wasn't shocked but the 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 scope of operations is, is uh, enormous by, by any standard. How does it compare to other covert wars? How does it, for example, compare to the Cold War between the US and the Soviet Union uh, after the Second World War? Uh, it's, it's, that's an interesting question. And uh, you know, it's, it's something we, we, in fact, discuss uh, in the book. Uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett uh, uh, adopted uh, in the short period that he was prime minister, uh, he told us that his tactic was uh, inspired by, by the Cold War. He called it death by a thousand cuts. He wanted to constantly uh, attack uh, and undermine Iran to, to eventually bring down the regime in the way that uh, the, the Soviet Union eventually fell. You mentioned this has been going on for, what, almost 50 years since the fall of the Shah, since the Iranian Revolution. Does it cut across parties? I mean, for the most for most of that period, of course, it's the right, it's, it's Likud that's been in power. But is this a, a consensus Cold War against Iran that unites left and right, military Absolutely. and civilian in Israel? Absolutely, I think. Pretty much across the spectrum, everybody in Israel feels that uh, Iran uh, is, is a huge threat to, to Israel. Iran threatens Israel, so that's uh, 
probably the, one of the only issues in Israel where there is consensus, especially at the, the present time. You're based in Israel and uh, as, uh, as your co-author is. How'd you get all your info about Tehran? What don't we know about Iran that you'd like to know? Is there the same consensus within Iran about this Cold War with Israel? Um, I don't think uh, I don't think there is a consensus within Iran because you have uh, the the section of the population uh, that supports the regime. So I think there there is a consensus within within Iran. But then you also have uh, you know the, the 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 other forces in Iran, the forces that want to see a, a Western liberal liberal democracy in Iran. Iran is a very educated country. Iran is a huge country, uh, and. Uh, Let's let's not forget that Israel and Iran used to be until the until the rise of the uh, Islamic Republic. Israel and Iran were, were best of friends. I know many people who used to live in Iran, not undercover. They were working uh, in Is in Iran for for Israeli companies. They were very very close relationships. One of the things, uh, Ilan, I've never really understood, and and maybe this is a bit of a dumb. Well, I mean, all my questions are pretty dumb, but this particularly dumb. Is I've never really understood why the Iranian regime, the revolutionary Iranian regime that replaced the Shah, why they're so obsessed with Israel. Why there's no strategic threat really. Um, there's no particular association with with Palestine or with the Palestinian people. What is it about Israel that has d defined, or at least seems to define Iranian foreign policy, Hezbollah, and everything else? Uh, you're, you're very right in saying that the Iranians are, are obsessed with, uh, with Israel, but it's, it's been so since the, since the very beginning. The first person, uh, first foreign leader to come to Iran after the uh, Islamic revolution was Yasser Arafat, and the Iranians gave him as a, as a gift uh, the the uh, Israeli embassy uh, in Tehran. He stood on the uh, on the balcony of the embassy in front of a crowd, shouting Khomeini Arafat, Khomeini Arafat, and uh, Khomeini promised him that uh, the first thing uh, that they would do uh, after stabilizing the revolution was to uh, to march to Jerusalem. So I think there's a there's also a deep uh, ideological element behind all of that. But why? Uh, the Iranians aren't Arabs. Uh, no. some, I know some people we've had on the show will probably explain it in terms of just being against the Jews, which is an easy explanation. It's hard to prove one way or the other. Is there more to it than that, Ilan? Well, I think, you know, for a revolutionary regime, it's always uh, great to have an enemy. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, in addition to its war with Iraq, uh, the beginning of the revolution, uh, which it didn't choose it chose two enemies for itself one is uh, israel the little satan and the other is uh, the united states the great satan and uh, you know it's always been the case that when someone wants to lead the uh, muslim world they uh, take a tough position on israel and they speak out on israel and they, they you know, try to uh, gain a certain hegemony in that way Hasn't it made them somewhat archaic and absurd? No one else seems in the Muslim world, outside Iran, officially at least, seems to care that much about Israel anymore. Uh, particularly, no. of course, in the Gulf. And I, I know we're going to talk about the Gulf and this uh, 
other three-way relationship with Saudi Arabia, uh, Israel, and, and, and the United States. Um, but is, for, for, uh, do you think there are people within the regime who are just tired of all this, don't see any upside, no benefit, certainly not in economic or military terms? I, th I think, uh, well, first of all, I mean, the, it's not it's not a regime where where sort of people can uh, express a different opinion. And there are the so-called reformists uh, within the regime, but they too take a hard line on Israel. It's it's not that the reformists say, you know, let's reach out and let's make uh, let's make peace with Israel. So I think as long as this regime is in power, then this uh, this uh, confrontation between uh, Israel and Iran is going to be ongoing. But there are always divisions within authoritarian regimes. Talked about the Cold War within the, the old Soviet Union as it collapsed, there were great divisions. I mean, even in Stalin's Russia, there were ideological divisions amongst his followers. Surely there are divisions within Iran. I, I, I imagine there are tactical divisions, but it does seem that ideologically, I mean, no one has uh, come out and said, let's take a different. Uh, Let's take a different stance on Israel. Let's reach out to Israel. You know, the, the Sunni Arabs are, are reaching out to Israel, so let's reach out as well. That simply hasn't happened. Why does Iran want the bomb? Is it to become a, a regional power? Is it to stand up for Israel? Or has it simply become a symbol of, of standing up to, to the, the two great Satans, the United States and Israel, and perhaps even the Sunni world? I, th I think uh, Iran has seen how regimes that uh, have the bomb uh, find it far more easier to guarantee their survival. What, Pakistan? What, what, what do you mean? Well, look at North Korea. No one will invade North Korea because North Korea has the bomb. Also, uh, uh, Iran has a long-standing and historical uh, sectarian dispute, not with Israel, but with, uh, with its Sunni neighbors. So yes, it wants to be the, the regional hegemon and it also wants to guarantee its survival. Title of your book, Ilan, Target Tehran, suggests that maybe the Israelis would like to invade Iran. Has there ever been talk of that? No, but there's certainly been talk of, uh, of conducting a strike on Iran uh, to stop its nuclear program. Israel sees a, a nuclear-armed Iran as an existential threat. Is that feasible, though? I mean, most of what, and you've obviously, you know a lot more about this than I do, but my understanding is that it's not feasible to do that, and if it was, they would have done it. Well, there were, I think that there, were, there, were, there was a period between 2010 and 2012 where Israel was apparently very close to launching an attack on, uh, on Iran, but it didn't have the backing of the United States. We, we relate in the book an incident where George Bush... Uh, sort of beat on the table and told uh, Ehud Barak, uh, the defense minister at the time, uh, that, you know, don't you understand, no is no. So, you know, Israel didn't have the, the, the international support that it needs to do so. But then on the other hand, you know, Israel's doctrine, the Begin doctrine, uh, instituted by Menachem Begin when he attacked the uh, Iraqi nuclear facility, is that Israel will, under no circumstances, allow an, a, a hostile regime to gain, gain a nuclear weapon. Is Iran as convenient an enemy for Israel as Israel is for Iran? Do they feed off each other? Uh, I think uh, my personal opinion is for, for the uh, current leadership, uh, 
that's certainly you know the, the using the fear of Iran is uh, is something that it leverages for for political political gain. So yes, I would say yes. And how does it's it play, uh, Elon? How does it play domestically in terms of this ongoing issue over land internally within Israel? Over land or the ongoing issue with with the uh, judicial reform? When well, everything. To... I mean, with 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 domestic politics, with with the issue of well, one state, two states, who gets what bit of land. I mean, I think think where it really comes into play at the moment is is with the whole uh, judicial reform overhaul, coup, whatever you would like to call it. Um, the, the 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 result has been that. Uh, uh, Netanyahu has weakened Israel's own hand. We, we see pilots, reserve pilots, uh, reserve members of special forces units, uh, reserve members of intelligence units, other vital military personnel uh, not turning up uh, to volunteer for their reserve service. So that weakens Israel and makes, uh, makes its threat less credible at the current time. So in a sense, uh, maybe... Bibi Netanyahu is doing Tehran's business by dividing the country so dramatically. I think he's certainly, I don't know if he's doing Tehran's business, but I, I personally certainly don't think he's doing uh, Israel any favors. I mean, the other day he uh, uh, compared uh, demonstrators uh, who are uh, turning up to protest against him at the, uh, during his visit to the United States. He compared them uh, with Iran and the PLO. So I think, yes, he's definitely causing uh, internal division that weakens Israel's hands. I'm guessing that the hardliners in Tehran rather like the hardliner in uh, in Jerusalem. Yeah, I think, I think at the moment, yes, you, you're right. Well, there's not much we can do, Ilan, uh, but it's a fascinating subject. Target Tehran, how Israel is using sabotage, cyber warfare, assassination, and secret diplomacy to stop a nuclear Iran and create a new Middle East. I want to Take a short break now, Ilan, and then I want to talk about this other three-way, this weird three-way relationship with Saudi and the Abraham Accords and how that might potentially change everything. So we're going to take a short break, thank our sponsor, Liberties, and then we'll be back with uh, Ilan Avatar, uh, one of Israel's leading journalists and experts on its very complicated and dangerous relationship with Iran. So we'll be back in a second. Thank you. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can check out more about Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. You can even subscribe. We are talking with the great Elan Evitar, co-author of Target Tehran. He doesn't like looking at himself, but he wants you all to read his new book, which is an important book. Elan, uh, uh, at the beginning, we talked about these parallel weird three ways. We, we talked about Israel, United States, and, uh, and Iran before the break. What about this Saudi thing? Uh, Saudi, U.S. and the United States, the Abraham Accords, which many people have come on the show and suggested was actually an achievement of the Trump um, regime, if that's the right word. 
Is there anything in it? What What do you make of these uh, these not Trump Accords, Abraham Accords? I think they're they're very important for Israel. I think uh, we we appear to be very close to uh, normalization uh, with the Saudis. I think it's a question not of uh, if it will happen, but when it will happen. So the question is, you know, will it happen now before before the uh, next U.S. elections? And the uh, question is, what price? Uh, each side will have to pay. Everybody wants something. Uh, it's going to be a deal with a lot of hard currency. The Saudis, uh, they, they want uh, uh, Israeli technologies. They want American technologies, American weapons. They want uh, a defense pact. They want uh, trade routes to, to Europe. They want a civil nuclear program. Uh, Biden wants a strong foreign policy achievement. Uh, uh, he wants to edge out China, which uh, has also been making inroads into Saudi Arabia and has its own Belt and Road Initiative. He wants also to, uh, uh, in quotes, uh, save uh, Israeli democracy. He wants to put pressure on Israel. Uh, he wants the, the deal to go uh, so far as to, uh, as to cause uh, Netanyahu and to have to give up his uh, very extreme right-wing partners, Vital uh, Smotrich and, uh, and uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir. Israel wants to see uh, peace with Saudi, obviously has uh, endless upsides for Israel, economic, uh, basically means the end of the uh, conflict more or less with most of the Arab world. Many other countries uh, will follow in uh, Saudi Arabia's wake if there is normalization, uh, but then it has challenges as well. The Saudis want this advanced weaponry. Israel needs to maintain what it calls its qualitative military edge. Uh, Netanyahu uh, has to balance all of this with uh, with his whole uh, domestic uh, political situation. With uh, does he can, can he push through a deal and keep his coalition? Will he have to partner with uh, with the opposition, with Benny Gantz, with the LP? And then there are the Palestinians. Uh, Palestinians uh, they have to balance out not uh, putting up demands that will uh, make it impossible for the Saudis to make peace. The Saudis have made it very clear that they don't want the Palestinians to veto their own interests. Uh, we quote one uh, diplomat in the book who says, uh, you know, uh, in Riyadh, they don't want any plonkers in Ramallah setting the tone for them. So it's a, it's a very uh, complex... Well, well, uh, I know that word, uh, Ilan, but not everyone will know the meaning of the word plonker. What does it mean? I think a plonker is a, it's a bit of an idiot, no? Or a schmuck um, in Yiddish, probably. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, so, is, I think it's a British term, not a Yiddish term. No, is it a British or American term? I'm not sure. I don't know. I think it's British. I don't know. Um, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a very, very complex puzzle, uh, you know, with thousands of moving pieces, and uh, uh, it's going to take uh, complex and tortuous negotiations to uh, put it together. And then. Of course, you didn't mention Iran. How much is the Saudi initiative here driven by their hostility to Iran? Well, the Saudis have just made their own uh, a, a sort of arrangement with Iran. They've re restored uh, diplomatic ties, which have been cut for a few years. But uh, all the intelligence sources we spoke to who are, who are in contact uh, with the Saudis said that isn't going isn't going to make a, a difference in the long term. The, the Saudi Iranian distrust of each of uh, each other still uh, still exists. The Saudis are very uh, fearful of, a, of, a, of an Iranian nuclear weapon, and in fact, uh, 
basically that it is the uh, fear of Iran that uh, uh, brought Israel and the Gulf uh, Gulf nations together. And and that fear is it driven by religion by the Sunni Shia thing? Is it driven by ethnicity? The Persian Arab thing, or is it driven by politics, the radical Islamic versus conservative Islamic thing? I think it's, it's driven by, by, by all of those factors. There's the uh, historical uh, Shiite-Sunni uh, divide. There's the uh, Persian-Arab uh, issue. The Persians feel themselves very much uh, superior to the Arabs, but the, uh, I think the main factor is that this uh, Islamic regime, so-called, is... Uh, uh, is one that wants to export the revolution and one, one that wants to have uh, hegemony over the region. And what about MBS? What do you make of him? Does he know what he's doing? Yeah, I, I think uh, he's uh, very bright, very driven. I think he wants to completely change uh, the face of uh, Saudi Arabia. He wants to modernize the country. He wants to liberalize the country in certain ways obviously while retaining his own autocracy. And he wants to uh, uh, prepare the country for, for the uh, post-fossil uh, fuel era. And he has a rapidly growing young population that he needs to uh, uh, find employment for. So, so, so that's very much part of the Saudi interest. The Saudis are building this uh, uh, mega project of Neom on the Red Sea coast, which is not that far away from Israel and not coincidentally and they, you know, they, 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 they need technologies they need, they need everything from IT to, to, to desert farming techniques to water and works and surveillance technology we've done and surveillance technology so yeah. I mean this this, this will be uh, if, if MBS is the Peter the Great or the Catherine the Great of, uh, of Saudi Arabia or the wannabe Peter or Catherine of Saudi Arabia uh, he he has his uh, Jeremy Bentham to create this panopticon in this new city. Um, so let's say you just said, and it's when, if not if, although in the Middle East, when can be a long time. Right. Um, but let's say there is peace, so to speak, between Israel and 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 the Gulf and the Saudis in particular. Um, the price is right, and they negotiate and haggle over everything. How does that change? the relationship between Israel and Iran? I think it makes it more difficult for Iran to uh, to take hostile actions against Israel. But I think Iran will still try to become, a, a, at the very least, a nuclear threshold state. But uh, with the peace with, uh, with the, the Saudi uh, and other Gulf nations, in fact, this is already happening, that there are various... Uh, uh, overt uh, defense ties, and there are various uh, uh, defense ties that uh, we don't know too much about. But there are supposedly, you know, they're, they're building this uh, region-wide uh, uh, radar alert system under the umbrella of uh, CENTCOM, the, the U.S. Uh, Central Command, and, and that uh, strengthens Israel's hand against Iran. Will it end uh, hostilities between the sides? Absolutely not. It's it's a little chilling, though, in the sense that 
Israel and Saudi are probably in agreement about regime change in Tehran. Certainly the Americans have always been in favor of regime change. Is there a danger of this whole thing spiraling out of control, becoming internationalized and drawing in the Russians and the Chinese? I don't see the Russians and the Chinese getting involved in uh, in conflict, but they have... Uh, well, influence. if there was a war, some sort of increasingly over war in a new Middle East against Iran, wouldn't... The, the, the Chinese certainly wouldn't just stay out of it, would they? I, I don't see uh, the Chinese getting involved. I think the Chinese, they have a phrase, they like to uh, sit on the mountain and watch the tigers fight. In, in this particular case, they don't have an interest in seeing Iran involved in a, in a fight. They have huge economic interests in Iran. Uh, the Russians are, are currently doing a lot of weapons business with, uh, with Iran to support their war effort in Ukraine. They're, they're getting uh, thousands of uh, suicide drones from Iran. They're supplying uh, or have signed a contract to supply uh, modern fighter jets to Iran, uh, missile technology to Iran. But yeah, I don't we'll see. have to see. Maybe you know we got we got the Ukrainian crisis. We may have a Taiwanese crisis, and then an Iranian crisis. It's in all the great powers' interest to leave the other crises alone. Let's. I, I know you know you were talking about when, not if, and five years in Silicon Valley, where I am, Ilan uh, is a long time. Where would you estimate? And I'll get you back on the show in five years' time. Where are we going to be in five years' time, both in terms of this relationship? or lack of relationship, this covert war between Israel and Iran and uh, the peace initiative uh, between uh, uh, Saudi and Israel? Well, let's start with the, with the peace initiative. Uh, you know, I, obviously, no one can look into the crystal ball and say you know, when an agreement will be signed. But there, there, there are two things here. One is that... Uh, there are things happening on the ground already in the absence of a, of a peace agreement. There, are, is, there is intelligence sharing uh, between uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, there, there are Israeli business people going to Saudi Arabia very openly on uh, foreign passports. Uh, we know that MBS uh, meets with Israelis that have foreign passports. Uh, there was a, a couple of Israeli sports teams that have, have uh, been in uh, Saudi Arabia even with Israeli passports, because they're going to uh, international events. The Saudis are investing in Israel via third parties, such as uh, Jared Kushner's uh, private equity fund. So, so there's lot, lots happening already on the ground. So I think even if we don't see a, a full agreement, we'll continue to see strengthening ties on the ground, very much in the way that uh, that was the case uh, between Israel and the United Arab Emirates before the uh, signing of the Abraham Accords. And as for Iran, uh, there are a couple of, uh, depends obviously on the Iranians, how far forward they, they, they will push their program. If, uh, if they decide to take steps that Israel sees as uh, crossing uh, the nuclear threshold, I believe that Israel will strike. Um, but the, the, there are a couple of uh, uh, points uh, in time where that uh, when, uh, when, uh, in, Certain sections of the uh, uh, JCPOA, which the United States has pulled out of, expire when there are no limits on uh, centrifuges, uh, when there are no limits on enrichment. So th those could be danger points in the future and around uh, 
2024 through 2025, but obviously it very much depends on uh, what the Iranians decide to do and what Israeli intelligence uh, uh, estimates or analyzes that they, that they are doing. So out of all this muddle, we're going to get one peace and one war, Ella. Uh, very possible. Uh, you know, let, but let's hope that uh, peace with Saudi Arabia will uh, in some ways uh, constrain the Iranians and persuade them uh, that it's you know, not worth uh, continuing down that path. And then the ball then is entirely in the Iranian court when it comes to whether or not there's a war. Got nothing to do with Israel. I don't, I don't think Israel will initiate a war with Iran if uh, if Iran uh, doesn't uh, 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 take uh, further forward measures on its nuclear program. And if uh, you know, there's another parallel to uh, to Iran's nuclear program, Iran is, has another strategy, uh, which is to surround Israel with what it calls a, a ring of fire. So you have uh, Hezbollah, you know, to Israel's north, and you have the forward Iranian and Iranian proxy positions in, in Syria to the northeast, and you have Gaza, Islamic, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is basically an Iranian proxy in Gaza to the south, and you have the Houthis in Yemen that are also capable of firing missiles against Israel. So, it's, so, uh, so military action on that front is also possible. There are those who uh, in Israel who believe that uh, Israel should uh, initiate a war with Hezbollah to to uh, cut down its capabilities and also uh, so that if uh, if there is a war with Iran, if there is a need to strike Iran, then then, then that has been basically conducted in two stages, giving giving 